One of the common patterns that we've seen across financial services in our work with enterprises is that leaders in the insurance industry often have a less transparent view of the AI use case landscape than leaders in banking do. For whatever reason, insurance vendors just don't get the same amount of press. Uh, they sometimes don't raise the same amount of money, but the applications that they're developing are no less transformative to the core processes. So our work here at Emerge, our AI opportunity landscape research, which is most of our work with enterprises, is laying open the totality of the AI vendor ecosystem and showcasing where the potential fit is within an enterprise. At the same time, we look at various competitor companies and look at where their known investments are and find the areas of highest ROI. Some of that research is by simply grinding through the secondary data, but a lot of that research is done through interviews, interviews with buyers at big insurance companies or interviews with vendor companies. And this week we are speaking to the latter. We speak this week with Tom Harrington, who heads up the insurance wing of Pega Systems. Pega is a company with almost a billion dollars in revenue. They're based here in Boston. And Tom speaks to us today about how automation and artificial intelligence are making their way into different insurance processes. Tom's been with Pega for over a dozen years and so has an intimate familiarity with the business processes in insurance and does a pretty good job of laying out where artificial intelligence is beginning to layer its way into those processes and change the way people work. After we all recover from this wild coronavirus pandemic, I suspect that a lot of the applications Tom refers to around efficiencies and operations are going to become more and more common as firms build from the rubble of where we might be left uh, from this wild event that we're going through here. So I think this is a timely interview and certainly a useful one. Without further ado, this is Tom with Pegasystems. So Tom, we can start things off with just getting your perspective on where AI has made its way into the insurance space today. When you look at the landscape, we freeze time in Q1 of 2020, and you get a sense of where you see AI currently hitting the ground running, how would you describe it? Yeah, I, I'd say the insurance industry generally, Dan, is still in a period of growth. I think they're still trying to find their way. Where we're seeing carriers start to build some momentum and have some success is by focusing on very specific business problems, typically around areas that, that are related to the customer experience, but but business problems that are tied to, to, to significant business cases, right? As they start to look and build out capabilities in the space. So for example, it, it's something, you know, we would call a micro journey, but think about renewal retention in the insurance space where you have a very compelling opportunity to actually retain a customer that has already been booked with you for a while and even an opportunity to expand on top of that. As they look at sort of the, as you look at the application of AI and where that can fit in that type of um, engagement, that type of interaction that you might choose to have with a policyholder, it's something that can help you inform, you know, the right strategy that you either as an individual who might be servicing that policyholder or as a company trying to provide the right experience, the right messaging, the right outreach to that customer, you can start to begin to find ways to arbitrate the right interaction that you would choose to have with that given person, given their context and their value to you as, as an organization. I think as we look at that, you know, we're seeing customers start to figure out how they can get better at that overall and start with very specific challenges. Like I said, retention's one. I think you could speak to cross-sell, upsell, acquisition, the utilization of, of digital properties that you may have within a carrier's base, the, the ability to start to, to deflect you know, interactions that historically have, have been inbound or handled in a real-time environment, starting to see them build capability there and build sort of momentum in a very small way so they can start to get better at using AI. 
across the experience that they may choose to offer as an insurance carrier. Got it. And, and so I'll just poke into this a bit, Tom. I appreciate you setting the table. And I know that sort of the uh, customer journey sort of flow is part of Pega's game and obviously where you guys have some experience and maybe what you can speak the most to. So we can we can knuckle down here a bit. Um, but uh, within that sort of process focus, you've highlighted a few instances of kind of, uh, I guess, discrete objectives. One be reducing churn. Another might be improve cross-sell, upsell. Um, and so these are bounded aims that might have a bounded way of measuring ROI where we can get a sense of are we doing better or worse than we used to be. Um, it feels like there's a lot of nuance there, Tom, and maybe you can walk us through a bit of what it looks like to make this happen in real life because clearly an AI is not going to draw the map of what a customer journey is. A human is going to do that. But then presumably AI would get a sense of how different people have gone through that flow and potentially optimize things like timing or what kind of email gets sent out or when we make a phone call based on sort of historical hit rates potentially. Um, there's, there's a lot to sort of imagine here. Maybe you could paint a mental picture of what that man and machine interaction is like. Yeah, I think you, I think I like the way you described that, Dan, just as, as you're starting to build out sort of the, the machine really is an assisted part of that process, right? I think the, the, yeah, as, as we look at where carriers are getting value out of that, it really is by starting to bring the experience of the collective, if you will, to the fore of the individual. So you understand basically those, those steps and actions or those experiences and interactions that have helped the carrier deliver on those discrete outcomes. Again, I'll use retention as that example. So that as you're calling up, you, you know, as, as you consider a situation where you, you may be as a, as a customer who just received a renewal notice from your carrier, finding out that you now have a rate increase that, that you are subject to without, with little input, you know, based off your experience and, and having, to, having to deal with that, that rate increase. There are things you may choose to do. You may choose to actually go out and look at the carrier's portal, right? You may, go, you may log into the portal yourself and see, you know, why did my rate increase? You know, what are some of the issues I'm having there? You know, based off of that, that rate increase, that could prompt you to do a little more research around the product offering to make sure you're interested in it. Yeah, once you do that, that could then prompt you to pick up the phone and actually start to talk to somebody about, hey, why did my rate increase? And as you think about, you know, that the breadcrumb is essentially the, the context and data elements that you're leaving behind. That's essentially leaving a, a trail of, of triggers and actions that, you know, AI in the background can start to begin to interpret and then arbitrate, you know, a series of strategies and decisions and opportunities that you can choose to potentially then take from an action perspective. You know, so that as that person actually calls into the call center and a call center agent picks up, you know, the phone to be able to see what, what, what's actually was happening. You know, first of all, they should have some context and insight into what that person was actually doing, but then be prompted with the relevant actions, offers that you may choose to, to extend to that policyholder based off of the attributes that are, that are being uh, provided to you at that particular interaction. And then I'd add, subs I'm sorry, subsequent to that, you know, Dan, I think it's then a matter of understanding the efficacy of that, right? So as you start to go through that process and make those, those are, you know, have the AI inform basically the right offers or interactions you're choosing to have, was it successful? Did you see the, did you see the outcome that you expected based off of that strategy? And then use that impact to start to inform, you know, the very next interaction that you may choose to have with the next caller who calls up with a similar set of circumstances and, and situations. Yeah, that, man, there's 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 a bunch to juggle here. Some of which feels like uh, machine learning. Some of which doesn't. Obviously, it's a pretty good mix. Um, we talk about uh, sort of what machine when machine learning can inform uh, sort of a decision or or something along these lines. It feels very hard to um, 
to say, okay, human, you're going to, when you pick up this call with this person whose rate was just increased, here's the script you're going to use based on what other, you know, uh, people in your shoes have actually said that have retained a client well or that have calmed a client down or w whatever metric we're using to measure it. We need some way to measure success on all those interactions. We need some way to understand what script or things were said on those phone calls. It feels like some things, frankly, are going to be outside the bounding box of what we can realistically recommend. Um, but maybe some other things are within the bounding box. Maybe there's some email communication that gives them an explanation and uh, uh, sort of seems to correlate to you know churn reduction over time. What are the kinds of things that are measurable versus not? Because I, I can see some of this really entering the fluffy gray area of the real world where I really would, would not suspect machine learning could give us a, a reasonable feedback and, and others maybe more so. Um, how, how, do, how do you like to kind of draw those lines of what's possible, what's not? Yeah, I think to that end, Dan, I mean, it really is, it really is about sort of looking at the uh, particular metric you're talking about. So for example, you know, on the back of something like that, you can, you can, it determines how you choose to nurture you know, that policyholder, right? And I think that informs what nurture you know, opportunities you may choose to affect. So in the example of somebody who's potentially going to attrite, you know, there are things they could attrite actually, and that's going to inform basically the interaction you may have had person to person as well as from a suggestion perspective. But then subsequent to that, gives you some additional insight and some opportunities to begin to figure out how you arbitrate the right nurture experience across the different channels that that customer could choose to engage with. You know, somebody who maybe didn't have any negative experience with you as a result of the fact that they they churned and left the company, there are things you can be thinking about to essentially nurture them across the different channels of, of potential interaction, be that the portal, be that email, be that just reminders over time via SMS or text. You know, so you can start to figure out other ways that we can start to draw somebody back in to the, to the, um, the carrier based off of the challenges they may have in, in the prior circumstance or prior experience that was had. So I think that that's just one example. I think others, as you start to think about, you know, nurturing somebody, um, somebody's experience, you know, as you start to figure out, you know, other opportunities that exist. So I think another example is, as you're thinking about sort of the expansion opportunities that somebody could get with you. So for example, I am somebody who's dissatisfied with that with that potential rate increase, but there could be opportunities for you to bundle me in a different set of products and offerings based off of what you know about me. How do I start to educate you, you know, via the tools and the interaction opportunities we have so that you start to see the value in the offering that's being provided as an insurance carrier? So again, I think that takes the form of a, a lot of times thinking about sort of the channel experience, the different channels of engagement, and how do you begin to personalize that messaging you know, across that pantheon of channels so that you can start to provide you know, that one-to-one -one experience that somebody's expecting and, and might choose to actually buy into based off of the value it's providing them as an individual policy. Got it. So I, I'm sort of imagining, I guess, number one, I mean, we're looking at a lot of permutations here. You know, okay, somebody of this kind, you know, here's their demographic. You know, they're married, they have a boat, you know, whatever the hell the case may be. And they got a rate increase on their boat. Uh, you know, and they're calling in and we suspect they're probably not super happy about it. You know, a bunch of boat owners got their rate increase based on these factors. Um, it, you know, here's what we can prompt to sell this person because we know they have kids and because such and such. Thinking of all of those permutations would, would be sort of wholeheartedly unruly, um, even for human beings probably to do. So probably we're looking at high volume instances, like let's say general auto insurance rate increases or something versus niche stuff. Um, and it seems like there's two ways this might be sliced. We could we could split test our own marketing, you know, ideas. We could say, okay, you know, when people call in, 
here's the script we're going to use, here's the email follow-up, here's the text message thing based on what happens on the call, whether it happens, you know, it ends in, in way A, way B, or way C, we have these different campaigns, and then we, humans just come up with what we want to split test. This script versus this script, this set of emails versus this set of emails, and then we wait three months, six months, we get a sense of our relative churn, and we kind of call it a day. That's option one, zero machine learning. Um, where where does the ML layer value? Obviously, the human brain still means a lot here, and I think that um, you know, you're articulating something that's very much a combination of man and machine. Where does ML start to layer on uh, value that maybe that kind of split testing couldn't? Yeah, I think when you start to look at those, those different interactions, I think to be able to arbitrate that in a real-time environment in context is really what where that layers a significant amount of value. So again, just think about all the potential different data points that an insurance carrier has on you just as an individual policyholder. Never mind all the other potential areas of data they could choose to pull to augment that understanding of you. How do you, at any single moment in time, begin to arbitrate that in a dynamic way so that you can begin to drive a personalized decision in real time? I think that's really the value that you start to see sort of that machine learning component layered on to some of those other, other channels you just talked about, more that A-B testing model, testing different strategies to be able to do. But that's really doing that at scale is really where we start to see that next opportunity and really the amplification of what AI can do within sort of the, that, that value chain and that customer experience. Yeah, it, it, uh, uh, it really does seem quite nuanced as to when would we want to trust the system to change the subject line based on some ML stuff it pulls in. Like, oh, cool, we know this about a policy you applied for but didn't get two years ago and about your Twitter stream and you know whatever information, right? I'm just making stuff up. Like to just kind of trust it to merge that stuff in in what parts of the flow um, feels super challenging, uh, but uh, also it, it seems clear enough that with a high enough volume, there would be some interesting value there. Probably one of the challenges for you guys, uh, Tom, and, and something you've got to talk to insurance leaders about is how to measure this stuff, right? Because it's like, oh, cool, we can have an AI-enhanced churn reduction program, but it's like at the end of the day, People want to sort of profit, they want to grow, they, they want the business outcomes. How do you think about measurement for something that's this nuance? And it obviously would take a little while to measure the ROI. Yeah, it does take. I think typically when we see companies at enterprise scale, frankly, we, we look at this as sort of a, well, companies start small and I think that's where they need to start. We look at the large impact of this technology, right? I think as you start to layer on the traditional approaches around what the insurance market is doing to sort to start to manage this kind of process, it is very manual based, Dan, as you might imagine, just given the nature of those of the operations today. Yeah, that the impact of this can be exponential, right? So I think as you start to consider you know, the the layering on of that additional insight in, in knowledge and the ability the ability to start to arbitrate that, you know, those decisions across basically all those particular data points, that, that can have a tremendous upside. And I think typically, you know, we see that you know manifest itself in things like additional growth, right, in the business. So I think cross sell upsell. And I think one of the things is you look at where this technology has been most successful, and we've seen this not just in insurance, if you look broader across financial services area like telco, you know, there, there can be an upwards, a benefit upwards of 150 million just by looking at this kind of approach and how you can start to arbitrate and understand at a personal level, you know, what are the individual opportunities that exist for you as a carrier to continue to grow and expand on the relationship you've already forged with your insurance customers. I think when you start to have that conversation with the senior executive, obviously you need to put a finer point on it to start to figure out you know, what the right starting points or pain points are for the business, I think retention being an example. But that kind of return gets starts to get people to understand the, the potential for this 
as they figure out how to get a little sharper themselves and understanding their own customer base and what the incremental opportunity on that customer base could be. Yeah, cl clearly I think the, the general idea of the value prop, hey, if you could cross-sell, upsell X amount more, hey, if you could aggregately reduce churn at these thresholds that we know churn exists, um, you know, there, there's a value prop uh, there to be articulated, no doubt about it. Um, and I guess where this sort of, well, one quick question before we get into your idea about the future and then we'll wrap up here, but I'm really interested in your ideas on this, is uh, you put some uh, some heavy emphasis on churn and cross-sell, upsell. Uh, I think it's always interesting to see where is AI hitting the ground running. There's a lot of business context to learn about where that traction happens. You really highlighted those two within the insurance customer service interaction. Um, anything else come to mind for you that you're seeing really big volumes with in terms of uh, engagements and, and focus for insurance players? Or are those kind of the big two, to be honest, and others are a little bit you know, farther behind in the wings right now? I think we're seeing those as sort of the largest impacts. And again, I think it's because there's a practical business case tied to them, Dan. You know, we are starting to see other carriers begin to begin begin to look at their their digital acquisition models, you know, especially in direct mo direct to consumer models where you know basically your experience is that you know, front end portal, front of website, you know, the the mobile apps that you potentially provide, and are starting to look at you know the the potential opportunities that exist within that. So the example being you know, so not dissimilar necessarily from a, um, you know, renewal retention as an example, but say I have people who come to my website, they may choose to start a process with me and abandon it midstream, right? What kind of things can you be doing to, again, nurture somebody intelligently based off of the, what we know about you as that end consumer, what your needs may be, to potentially bring you back into the boat, right? And get you back in to say, You're, there was a reason you started something with us, you know, in, instead of just cutting that off, Right, and just saying, oh, too bad, we had a quote abandoned, and that's all we're going to do with it. What kind of things can we be doing to begin to nurture you and bring you back so that potentially we can get you back in the boat as a, you know, a, a bigger customer or just a first-time customer for you as a brand? And I think that's another area we're seeing customers begin to start to look at what those touch points are and figure out how they can expand on those models as they're looking to either enter those markets and become more effective in those markets from below as they're building that, or, or you know, expending the, the lead that they may have yeah, an existing business in that in that same kind of business model. So this is really interesting to me, and, and I, I've, I've got to ask because I think this is fascinating context on the industry. It seems as though for you, the new customer acquisition uh, use case of this sort of customer journey workflow optimization is sort of a slightly more nascent domain than cross-sell, upsell, or churn reduction. Um, there's a couple reasons why this might be. Maybe one of them is... Um, uh, some of the largest insurance players that have a budget to buy a vendor product like yours are focused on maintaining market share, kind of even a little bit before they focus on uh, expanding into new markets. There's another case where your kind of product and experience with Pega is mostly focused on those use cases, and so you just happen to embed AI there first, and maybe acquisition hasn't historically been your your thing as much, right? Not not as much. Um, what do you think? What do you think molds that dynamic that you articulated? Because I think some people might be surprised that acquisition is not number one. Um, why not? Well, I think it, the, the qualifying criteria there, Dan, is that direct model. I think if you look at the insurance market, it tends to be intermediated largely. Yeah, and I think that there's still, especially if you think, let's just take personal lines as an example, your auto, home, boat, motor, as you kind of talked about earlier. Yeah, that's something that potentially you either go direct to as insurance carry for and you buy via direct 
in a direct service model, or you have an intermediate model where you have an independent agent or captive agent in between you. I think increasingly, you know, one of the things as you look at those, those large carriers you reference, you know, they are wrestling with the fact that the future experience that they're going to have to offer isn't one or the other. It's probably a little of both, that you're going to need to figure out more of that hybrid model. And I think in some cases, you have people who are traditionally, traditionally you know, much more associated with that intermediated model who now all of a sudden find themselves in order to you know, open up new avenues of growth or potentially extend to new customers that they're trying to reach, open up more of that direct consumer model. And they're going to need more help to be able to support that or you know, vice versa. And I think in that context, I think that's where acquisition becomes extremely important. I think in the, in the other example, I think as you're thinking about the acquisition, acquisition side, it's much more around how am I starting to arbitrate between these channels to understand that there are people for whom, guess what, that intermediate model is still going to make a heck of a lot of sense. And they're going to need that level of support. They're going to need that level of counsel based off of their unique exposure needs versus people in the direct channel who may need you know, simple offering or just may need to be you know, brought and educated in a different way in order to, to, to be brought to the boat. So I think when I say acquisition, I see it being a little more around not necessarily the established carriers per se, although that's definitely a valid use case. It's a little more as they're starting to think about growth in these new channels that they're starting to stand up to sustain their business going forward and how best to optimize that, you know, given the fact that it, it needs to be, in many cases, a low-cost, low-touch model, servicing yep, of course, model yeah. to compete with other things in the space. Yeah, and low-cost, low-touch, high-volume is going to allow us to leverage AI meaningfully. Um and uh, so obviously there's opportunity there. But it's interesting that you bring up the point that a lot of insurance is intermediated, right? I, I, when I, I ran a martial arts gym a long time ago and I bought insurance from some guy down the street, Lord knows who the actual insurance company higher up was. I totally forget. But I certainly bought from a guy who kind of aggregated the stuff and then he met with local business owners and sold it. So you're saying because of that dynamic, the front end conversion maybe is not as big of a point of emphasis. It depends on the carrier, frankly. Yep. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Because there are some that are exclusively that model, and there are others that are exclusively yeah, yep, direct. Yeah, yep, got but it. Yeah. Increasingly, increasingly, it's a hybrid, frankly. Yeah, I think yeah. more and more companies that have been in one or the other are now looking at how they how they start to branch out. I think in the case of you know somebody who's tr traditionally intermediated through an agent, like the example you gave, increasingly they're opening up direct offerings as well. And those direct offerings may be properties they own. It may be where they're selling through aggregators or other front-end offerings or the insurtech market potentially versus the directs who are now looking, yes, I have a direct offering, but in order for me to begin to sustain my business going forward, I need to have more options and more hooks basically in you as a customer in order to, to maintain and retain you. And that could mean that I'm not just managing a direct model where I'm managing you in a direct channel. I could need to transition you for certain offerings to an intermediate channel because we're also a bank or we're a financial services company as well, and there are other places we need to touch you. So increasingly, it's about finding that balance between the two, but optimizing them again, because again, I think the, the efficacy, and as you met, mentioned, the, the volume required is absolutely is going to be a, a key place for AI to sit within that the transaction and acquisition process. Totally makes sense. And I think a point that I don't want to be lost on the listeners here is that we're talking about attacking particular facets and elements that are somewhat measurable, somewhat boundable by subject matter experts uh, and looking for those tangible improvements in those pockets versus AI for customer experience, AI for 
you know, customer service. This is what that looks like in the real world is what we're talking about here with Tom. So Tom, I appreciate you getting into that level of detail. Final little quick note, I'm going to make this super brief and even abbreviate the last question I had for you uh, and, and simply talk about kind of what kinds of insurance players you think are going to be able to leverage this sort of technology uh, in the half decade ahead. You know, as we move forward, uh, some players um, are going to be able to have these very tailored, sort of robust uh, customized experiences, as you've articulated, maybe some players won't. Is it just a factor of size? Is it also different kinds of insurance are more suited than not? When you look ahead and see who you think is really going to have this one-to-one -one great customer experience like we're talking about, where's the adoption really going to take place? Yeah, I think increasingly it's going to start in that personal line segment. I think you or I, Dan, as individuals, I think that requ requires that kind of touch. I think that that's really... As you look at the large players, they're 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 going to need to evolve over time. I think increasingly there's some pressure from them from non-traditional competitors. I think you you may or may not be aware of well, there's a lot that happens in the insure tech world right now, and I think that's one pressure lever. But I think increasingly, if you look at that marketplace, you know that's where the you know manufacturers, the automotive industry, you know potentially warranty solution providers for for offerings in the home. That increasingly that there's a play there as they start that those non-traditional competitors are beginning to wrap you know, platform and experiences themselves around the end consumer of other traditional insurance products. I think in order to compete with that, carriers are going to have to get down to that level of personalization to continually reinforce the value that they offer as an insurance partner in that, in that policyholder's life. I, I'm going to agree with you there. I think that's tough to argue with when we look ahead at kind of how they're going to have to adapt in the future. And I think it's cool to be able to paint the picture with you here, Tom. So I know that's all we have for time, but thanks so much for being able to join us. I appreciate it, Dan. Thanks for the time. If you're interested in taking your knowledge here one step further, going from the level of use cases and applications to actual best practices and deployment, then consider checking out emerge.com slash plus. That's our Emerge Plus program, where we offer not only a full discovery map of AI use cases that our free subscribers don't have access to, uh, but we also have our full library of best practice guides. Everything from how to get ROI from AI, how to deploy AI, how to hire talent and teams, these are essential lessons and insights for innovation and strategy leaders, as well as for professional services and consulting leaders. If you are either steering an enterprise or helping your enterprise clients, these are insights you're not going to want to miss out on, and we build upon them every week. An expanding map of use cases in a beautiful visual format, as well as this best practice guide in our full white paper library. So again, if you want to take this from kind of concept to action, then consider checking out Emerge Plus. That's E-M-E-R-J dot com slash P-L-U-S, Emerge.com slash plus. So that's it for this episode. I look forward to catching you next Monday 